Welcome to Small Talk with Elise. How did you all like the last podcast? I found it very humorous and I like the candid openness without being disrespectful while talking about politics, which can be hard to come by these days. If you missed it, there's a short preview clip shared on social media. Today, they're talking about something different from politics, religion. Alan Trung is Brandon and Justin's cousin and a practicing Catholic in Utah. They talk about his journey of faith and compare the differences between the LDS and Catholic traditions. Well, thank you for that introduction, Sangji. And as you mentioned, we're going to be talking about my cousin today, actually, Alan Trong. And Alan is a good friend of mine, as well as a relative, and we always have some really interesting conversations. I'm going to give a short introduction of Alan here. He is a, currently a computer engineer. Previously, he was studying uh, biomedical engineering as well at the U of U, and then he got his master's at Purdue in, in biomedical engineering as well. But right now, currently, he is just sitting in a dark room coding for hours on end and doing basically nothing else, right? There's, there's some sunlight. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's just kind of a stereotype. But we're, I mean, all these educational landmarks that Alan has and we're not going to talk about that today, although he is a very smart man. What we do want to pursue today is something much more deeper and much more important in my, in my estimation, and that is something of faith. And Alan is a devout, I, would, I, I think, would you describe yourself as a devout, <laughs> devout Catholic? Or? Um, I know devout is such a strong word. Um, I mean, I try to be devout. Yeah, he's a, a practicing. How about practicing? Mm -hmm. Alan's a practicing Catholic, and I, I, there's just so many good conversations you can have with him because he's not like a once-a-year Catholic. He does attend regularly. <laughs> he knows the doctrine. He knows the theology and stuff. So I'd say that's, that's kind of where we want to start off now. Right. So today, I think we invited Alan on the show. So thank you for that, by the way. Yeah, thanks for having me. So today, we'd like to have a good discussion, faithful discussion between two members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or Mormons as you call them, with, with our Catholic friend and cousin, Alan. And so today we're not here to debate or to have some, you know, philosophical Bible bashing. And we're, <laughs> most importantly, we're not here to convert you, Alan. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm not going to try to convert you. <laughs> awesome. So it's mutual. But we just really wanted to hear from you. And we know that a lot of us um, members of the Mormon uh, community in Utah you know, we're, we're kind of surrounded by ourselves and we don't really understand the other faiths or other people as well. So we hope this discussion, maybe we can understand you and, and what faith means to you a little better. Yeah. So Alan, I mean, we're in our insulated echo chamber. So right now we're trying to, we're putting one hand out. We're trying to, you know, not be as insulated as we usually are, but why don't you kind of guide us through your journey of faith what were the different landmarks in your life that kind of led you to the the catholic discipline this, this catholic faith 
Um, yeah. Um, so you mentioned that I was born in England. Um, so that was where my early childhood was. And that was also like my first exposure to um, Catholicism. And the way that went about was that um, my mom enrolled us in a Catholic school, even though we weren't Catholic, uh, because that was um, the best school um, in that neighborhood. Um, so that's how it got started. And, um, and during that time, we had to go to daily mass sometimes. So yeah, so mass is like the church service. Um, and that's where we have, um, yeah, the, the communion, the rituals that I wasn't allowed to participate in really, but I still had to attend. Um, okay. So that was my first exposure to it. Um, it was probably like the first like actual church that I went to. Um, was a Catholic church. I just have some quick questions for our Mormon audience. So first of all, mass, is that like on Sundays? Um, so mass, like the main mass that people um, think about when you say mass is the Sunday mass. Um, it can be Saturday evening as well. But the masses that I went to were the daily masses. So these would be the ones oh. like Monday through Friday. Um, oh, wow. There's, there's still masses, but they're not like the main mass. It's like half as long as the Sunday mass. So there's less readings. Um, there's, there's less music. It's just a simplified version of the, it's like a quicker version of the Sunday mass. Okay. Uh, those are the, the, highlights. the highlights. Yeah. Of <laughs> <Kind> of. <laughs> yeah. The highlights. Great. So you would go there every day when you were growing up in England? Uh, no, not every day. It was called daily mass, but we didn't go daily. We would only go maybe like once or twice a week. Mm. Oh, okay. It was like maybe like Wednesday or Thursday or something. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So that's kind of, it's, it's for LDS listeners, it's just the sacrament meeting, but they mm -hmm. hold it on multiple days. Um, yeah. yeah. So that was the beginning. Um, okay. And, um, and in, in like the classroom, uh, we would have religious education class sometimes. And I actually enjoyed those classes a lot. Um, and the parts that I liked the best were the Bible stories. Um, that was my first exposure to the Bible. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just really enjoyed, um, like, yeah, there's, there's good literature in the Bible, you know, the old Testament, especially, um, Genesis, you know, Adam and Eve, Noah, you know, for a lot of kids that don't grow up in religious homes, their, you know, initial reaction to hearing these Bible stories, which they take much too literally is much of an allergic reaction. They, well, Jonah, you know, got swallowed up by a well, that's ridiculous. And they have a very, you know, they, they, don't, they don't think it's necessary for them to believe in quote-unquote fairy tales. If I had like a parent who's like a, you know, a really strong evangelical Christian um, or like were a really strong atheist, then that probably would have like pushed me the opposite direction. Um, mm -hmm. So if I had the evangelical parent, then maybe I wouldn't believe any of it. Um, if I had an atheist, then maybe I'd be, you know, in the, you know, in the... I guess in like the, the teenage tradition of rebellion, yeah, I'll just do the opposite of my parents. Yeah. Um, but who knows, right? Um, Perfect. Fair so, enough, fair so, enough. so you're more of like a, a, what is it called? A contra guy? No, contrarian. <laughs> is that right? So I want to ask a you contrary. about when you moved to Utah, you know, mm -hmm. you know, you're surrounded by, you know, I think the Catholics are like, make up what? 5%? Maybe like 10%, I think. That was the last percent of the population in Utah? Mm -hmm. Okay, so a small, they're a small, they're probably the biggest minority, but quite yeah, small I think so. here. So 
Um, is that why you chose to be, you know, non-Mormon? Is it because you're contrarian? You didn't want to fall in line with the rest of everyone? <laughs> no, actually, that, that wasn't the reason. Um, it's deeper than that. <laughs> yeah, I never, I never thought about it that way before. Like, I was, like, I, the only people I was battling against were possibly my parents. Um, no, nobody else. Mm. Um, but, yeah, when we moved to Utah... Like I kind of lost the connection with the Catholic church really, because we went to public school and none of my friends were Catholic here. Uh, but in England, like pretty much all of my friends were Catholic and there were some Muslim friends too. And um, how old yeah. were you when you moved here? Um, about 12. Okay. Just so under 12. middle school. Yes, yeah, so I pretty much start, like I started my teenage years in Utah. And it was, that was an interesting time because um, again, everything was secular now. Um, even though most of the people in my school, I believe, were LDS. Um, but it was about maybe seventh or eighth grade when I went through this phase where I decided to try to, like, improve myself as a person. You know, like, as a, as a young teenager, I wanted to install discipline into my life. And the things I started doing were working out every day. So I started doing like push-ups, sit-ups. I do like 500 sit-ups a day. Like right- I'm punch like, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but I didn't do that many push-ups. <laughs> I did like 50 push-ups maybe. Um, but I would just do that like every day coming home from school um, and then I would do my homework. And then every morning um, um, I would start reading the Bible. And the thing that that was kind of weird was that like nobody told me to do any of those things. I just did it because I wanted to. Um, and with the Bible, I started with the, the children's Bible because that was the one that we had in our house. I think that was Auntie Lynn's. Uh, okay. Maybe it was mom's. I'm not, it was one of them, but I just, I just found it on the desk. I picked it up and I just started reading it. and I read the whole thing in like a week. Um, and that was actually a pretty important part of my life um, because after finishing that the kids, version of the Bible, all the, the cartoons, the animated stuff. Uh, I started praying every day, which is something I'd never done before, like on my own. So yeah. did, did they teach you to pray or was it just something you saw in Catholic school? How do you know how to pray? So there was one um, chapter or one passage in that children's Bible where Jesus teaches the apostles the Lord's Prayer. Mm -hmm. You know, that's yeah. the Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Yes. And he said like, this is like the perfect way to pray. And, and I, I took that literally. Um, mm. So I just started saying that exact prayer like every night before going to bed. Oh. I did that every single night until like maybe like the end of high school or college. Wow. So this is like maybe five or six years of the same prayer every wow. night. Okay. You didn't get bored of it or anything? Well, I did eventually. Uh, that's why okay. I stopped doing it. <laughs> um, but, but back then I thought, yeah, this is discipline. This is spiritual yeah. discipline mm -hmm. and mastery. And I need to keep doing this. Right. Um, just like, you know, studying is important, like doing my homework, doing push-ups is important. I have the physical discipline, the mental discipline, and the spiritual discipline. Those are the three things that I was focusing on back then as a okay. teacher. So when in this, when you, I know you're doing the Lord's Prayer throughout, but when did you actually join the Catholic Church? When, when were you, you know, baptized and confirmed? Um, yeah, so that came quite a bit later. Um, before I joined the church, um, a lot of things like needed to happen. Um, like, so number one, I had to decide that church was actually worth going to. Because even though I started like this, this spiritual path of praying and like 
trying to like be aware of God, I didn't feel any desire or need to go to church. Okay. Um, so this is throughout my teenage years. Um, so what changed was that um, during high school, I really started getting, in, in, getting into history. So I took um, AP, um, US history, um, world history, and those are my favorite classes. And yep. so even when I, when I was done with my homework, I would just continue reading the book, like the textbook, just for fun. And um, I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, and if the textbook wasn't enough, uh, yeah, this is gonna review how nerdy I am. Uh, like I would just go online and just start reading about like the historical figures. Um, yeah, this, there was this timeline that I just kept following religiously. This is another one of my disciplines. This, this will be like the intellectual mental part where every day after coming home from school and doing like my push-ups and stuff and eating dinner, and if my homework was done, um, I would click on the next historical figure on that timeline. So it started with King David from like 1000 BC. Yeah. And I ended with Chairman Mao in the 1950s, China. Wow. I went all the way. So I went 3000 years of history. And I think that lasted all throughout high school and like the first half of college. Wow. Um, so I got a lot of like the broad historical overview. And throughout like that nice survey of history, you know, I saw Judaism, I saw Christianity, I saw Islam. Um, and there was a little bit of um, the Buddha, the Buddhists. Um, yeah, and I thought it was pretty cool. Um, um, yeah, the, um, the parts that were most interesting to me was the European history. So that's where the Catholic Church um, is like the main institution, like for yeah. most of the history, like after the Roman Empire. Right. Um, and then I learned about the Protestant Reformation and, and before that class, I'd never heard of a Protestant. I didn't know, I didn't really think about, like there are different types of Christians. That darn um, Martin Luther, <laughs> yeah. Catholic Church. Yeah, like the only religions I really knew were Catholics and Mormons. And that was it. <laughs> like, that was, that was the worldview of Alan. It was the Catholics versus the Mormons. <laughs> oh yeah, and, oh yeah, and Muslims. Because there are lots of the Muslims. In the but they're like, you know, they're somewhere out in Arabia, you don't, know, yeah, you know, some no one knows about land, you know, in, in the in you know, like in a Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that really, like, that really opened my eyes. Like, the world is a really big place, um, and there's all sorts of different beliefs, even within Christianity, right? So, after learning that, I got really confused. Um, like, so many religions, so many denominations. Um, like what's the point, you know, like, <laughs> so you said a little prayer and you had a vision and you were told to join the Catholic church. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was that simple, <laughs> um, but no, I, I never, I never heard any voices or anything. There was not, there was no miracles in my story, unfortunately, uh, nothing spectacular. Or maybe um, fortunately, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Um, but at least my story is more believable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I, so, I heard, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, you were studying mm -hmm. history and I know the general, you know, PC version of the Catholic church is basically they killed Galileo. Mm -hmm. They were jerks to Martin Luther yep. and they hated Brown people. I don't know, something like that, but like how, yeah. right. so how did you get past mm -hmm. that and kind of really look into the, the deep historical roots of the Catholic tradition their intellectual and philosophical tradition, how they really preserve much of Western thought and 
you know, how did you get past all that initial, you know, straw manning of the Catholic church and mm -hmm. get into it? Yeah. The thing about like reading all the history was it didn't give me a negative view of the Catholic church um, okay. or any religion actually. Hmm. Um, Cause the way that I saw it, it was, you know, individuals, you know, leaders, people with power who made bad decisions or right. who were insecure or there was maybe just a miscommunication between the two parties or whatever. Yeah. Know? Especially with like the Eastern church and the Western church, you know, it's one of them, like the most, like biggest misunderstandings. Ever. Uh -huh. mm. uh -huh. um, so I didn't really blame any religion or any group in particular. I just, I, I just thought, you know, history is just about people making mistakes. Yeah. And you know, it doesn't mean an ideology or a belief is wrong. It's just, you know, this is just human nature. Humans mess up and they fight and then sometimes they make up. You know, but then I guess so. To, I guess to push you a little further, though, because the typical claim is that you know the bishop of Rome, I think it is, right? Mm -hmm. The Pope. He's, yeah. He's getting direct authority from God, and and to reveal you know a revelation of how how the church should act, how all the people. So how do you how do you um, I guess how do you reconcile that view with the the people are making mistakes kind of thing? Okay. Well, the thing about that is I never really believed that the Pope was like getting like directions from God. Like the, the Pope is not a prophet. Even Catholics don't believe that at all. Because I know like the head of the LDS church, the president is a prophet, right? Right. Yeah. But, but the Pope is not a prophet to Catholics. Oh. Um, okay. So there's a, there's a difference. The Pope is just a man, uh, a normal man who just happens to be like the figurehead, like the spokesperson, the administrative leader of the church, of the hierarchy. Okay. Um, so there's so nothing very... like special, the Pope doesn't have any special powers. Or but the, the Pope can oh. make those, what are they, ex-cathedra statements where things become doctrinal. I know it's very yes. rare. I think it has to happen twice in the last hundred years or something. Or yeah, I think, last, I think I the know. last time the ex-cathedra was used with, was with, it was probably in like the 1800s with okay. like the Assumption of Mary, just proclaiming that to be true. Okay. Um, but it's only been it's only been used a very few times. Like even like that power wasn't even formally like declared mm. until maybe the 17 or 1800s. Uh -huh. But we accept the previous popes um, as tradition. You know, like the ones who made them, the 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 official teachings. Yeah. Um, so that those were popes with the bishops. So it, it's it's almost never just the Pope saying something. In order for the church to establish something as like doctrine or teaching, um, it has to be with the bishops, like all of the bishops. Like the bishops have to agree, like through a council. And how many bishops are there? Um, I would say hundreds. Hundreds, okay, yeah. quite a lot, wow. There's, so there's, a, there's, a, there's at least 100 or 200 cardinals. Yeah. Um, so there are way more bishops than there are cardinals. Okay. So, so the Pope, bishops. cardinals, bishops, right? Yeah. So the Pope is um, the Bishop of Rome. So Pope is number one. And then there's a actually, maybe, I should start, maybe I should start from the bottom. That might be okay. Good. Okay. So Lay it out. Within, within each Catholic church or parish. So I guess this would be the equivalent it's a to a ward. Yeah. Oh, ward. Sorry. Mormon, Mormon um, ward. Yeah. Right. We're just. So, yeah. Up. So a ward is like a parish and the head right. of the parish is a, a priest, the pastor. Yep. And then several parishes together make a diocese. So this would be like a stake, right? Yep. St mm -hmm. Man, you got the lingo down. Yeah. So that would be the bishop. The bishop leads the diocese. The, diocese. Oh, the stake president. So the stake president is like the bishop for Catholics. Yeah. The priest so, is like the bishop for Mormons. <clears throat> 
Oh, yeah. okay, okay. So, so in Utah, we have the Diocese of Salt Lake City. That's pretty much all of Utah. All of Utah. <laughs> yeah, but wow. we have like this a parish is like a church. So there's lots of like churches. There's a church in West Valley, there's a church in Ogden. Those are all parishes, but they're all called the Diocese of Salt Lake City. And that's one of the biggest dioceses, right? Because of just maybe, geographical wise. Maybe in terms of like acres, yeah. But in terms of number of Catholics, probably not that big. Okay, right. Because uh, we're pretty like spread out. Um, like Southern Utah probably doesn't have any Catholics. Right, maybe there's like two. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, there. And then, Call in, yeah. tell us. <laughs> and, then, um, and then a really big diocese is called an archdiocese. I'm not sure if an archdiocese is a collection of dioceses or if it's like a really big diocese. I actually don't know that. But the head of the archdiocese is an archbishop. Uh, So the archbishop is a general authority. Yeah, so an archbishop is a very powerful person. Because it's like, you have, like, um, like an example would be like the archdiocese of like, I don't know, like San Francisco or like um, Santa Fe. So these are usually big cities that have tons of Catholics. Yeah. And some of those archbishops are cardinals. Okay. Some of them are not. So you Um, can be both. Yeah, so usually a, a cardinal is also an archbishop, um, but not always. So I don't know how they decide who's a cardinal and who's not, but the cardinals have a special duty where they have to like report to the Vatican um, to elect the pope. Uh, when there's an, when the new when the, the old pope dies, the cardinals have to come together and elect the next pope from one yep. of the cardinals usually. Mm-hmm. So if you're a cardinal, you're a candidate for pope basically. Got it. Interesting. And there's only one pope. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But all Thanks. of that stuff. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. the rundown. What, what are I you saying? Really, yeah. I never really thought about any of that stuff really until like college. Yeah. Because uh, all that stuff. That administrative didn't really stuff didn't matter to you as much as, as much as what the Catholic Church mediated for you in terms of spirituality. Your spiritual experience. That's kind of more, was that more of your, your care, I guess? I think that would be most people's. Um, I don't know. Now, now that I reflect back on it, like, I don't feel like I was a very spiritual person. Uh-huh. Like, even, like, even maybe through most of my Catholic life, you know? So it's been, like, almost 10 years now. Um, so I think I've only really become, like, I've, been, I've called myself a spiritual person maybe in, like, the past one or two years. Okay. Um, but before then, it was more about finding the truth. Like, I just wanted to, like, I just didn't want to be confused by different religions. And I, I feel like I should try, you know, to make an effort to look at the different religions and at least try to understand them, even if I don't end up picking one. Yeah. Um, so this was like at the beginning of my college time when I kind of had like a mini like research, religion research phase where I had the, so I think I had these five religions. It was Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism and I, and I lump Catholicism and Mormonism within Christianity. Okay. All right. <laughs> so you at least um, gave us the Christian label. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even That's though some part. Christians will not consider us Christians. Right. Uh, look at the <laughs> evangelicals in the uh, South, whatever. Um, right. <laughs> but um, yeah, Hinduism, I, I couldn't really get behind because it was kind of incoherent with like what they believe about God. Cause sometimes they're monotheists and sometimes they're polytheists mm-hmm. and sometimes they're like somewhere in between. So I just couldn't, that just confused me even more. Mm. So, so, so I, I threw like Hinduism out pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> and then um, Buddhism, Buddhism doesn't have any position about God. Right. Like, cause you could, right. 
you can be an atheist Buddhist or you can believe in God and be a Buddhist. Yes. Um, yep. So that was also kind of confusing. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't like that either. Um, I wanted more of a clear answer about God. Give me a, an exact position on God. You, you know, mm. give me some clarity. Yeah. So Buddhism was out. So that narrows it down to the three Abrahamic religions. Um, and um, yeah, so I told you, like, I read the Bible, like, through high school, right? So it was like middle school, high school. After I finished reading the children's Bible, I actually read the actual Bible that had like a thousand pages. Mm-hmm. And that took me like three years. I read like one page per day, like starting in like eighth grade. Oh, man. And I finished in sophomore year of high school. Cover to um, cover. Yeah, I was, yep, starting from Genesis all the way to Revelation. There were a lot That's of boring parts, um, like, you know, in the Old Testament. Like oh, the, the Leviticus. Leviticus. Oh, Leviticus. Numbers. 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 But I just pushed my way through it, you know. Like, it was... It was <laughs> right, that's like our second Nephi for the members <laughs> of our church. <laughs> yeah, there's like, there's Isaiah excerpts inside of second Nephi, mm-hmm. where there's, a, you know, there's some slight word differences <clears throat> and stuff, but basically it's really hard for members of the LDS church to read through that part. So there's always just kind of a joke that you just... You either read that part to fall asleep or you just skip over it. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's why I read the Bible in the morning, like before school. So I could never fall asleep. So you could fall asleep during class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was only one page though. So it, yeah. It, yeah, I know. It took so long to get out of that. I felt like I felt like I was there for like a year, like on Isaiah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense because it's full of symbolic language, but Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's but that anyway, discipline you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so finishing the Bible, it gave me like a foundation of Judaism. So I'm, I'm glad I did it. Even though like a lot of it was really boring. At least I know, like I know who King David is. I know like where in the world this was, like in history. You know, I knew about like, you know, how do the Romans fit into this? The Persians, you know, the Babylonians, like everyone before. Like I, I see like the big picture now after reading the Bible, like how it all fits. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, that might have distorted me towards the, you know, one of the three Abraham religions. Um, so Judaism, I had deep respect for, you know, because of that. And then, you know how the New Testament is actually a pretty small portion of the Bible. It's like maybe less than 20%. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really get much out of the Gospels and like the letters of Paul, you know, and Peter. Because mm. uh, I just felt like I went through it really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's, so that's why I would not call myself a Christian back then, uh, even after reading the Bible. Um, so, okay, so getting back to like, okay, which one of the three do I choose? With Judaism, you know, that's, that's the one that's the most solid. And then we get to Jesus, right? That's really how Christians distinguish themselves uh, from everyone else. So do I believe in Jesus is the big question. Um, so let's assume that Judaism devolves into either Christianity or Islam. Because, um, you know, Muslims have Jesus as the Messiah too, as a prophet. Mm-hmm. And they also believe that he's a very important person, but they don't believe that he's God. Um, so uh, which path do I take? Uh, do I believe in what the gospel writers said about Jesus? Or do I believe about what Muhammad said about Jesus? Um, so I played the numbers game. Um, with, um, with the New Testament, we have... Um, we have the, 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 the evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we also have Paul and Peter and James and maybe some other people. I'm not sure. So that's at least seven people who say something that's somewhat coherent about Jesus. 
Um, they kind of agree. But then we go to Islam, we have one person, we have Muhammad. He's, he's the only person who's, um, who we're getting this source of information from. And he's getting it from the angel Gabriel, right? But let's just count people, okay? So one human person versus seven, at least. Right, right. real quick, just think, because members of the church don't realize this, but no other Christians Wait, think angels, you. angels, no, no, on the point of, let's just count men, because angels and men, angels are not humans in other Christian theology. So mm-hmm. just a clarification. Yep. So we're not going to count angel Gabriel. That's yep. Angels don't count. Okay. <laughs> so seven on one. So I, I went with you know, the fact that seven is more likely to be correct. Uh, even if they could both be wrong, maybe Jesus never existed at all. Or, but how did you rule out Judaism? What if Judaism I, I, was right? I didn't. I, I didn't. didn't. I did You're just kind of jumping to Islam and... Yeah, and so Judaism, I kind of like put as a maybe for now. Put it aside. You're like, all right, we'll, we'll come back to this one later for a midnight snack. Or and something. whoever wins will face Judaism. So it's like a tournament <laughs> bracket. This is like the semifinals. Okay. Judaism gets a bye to the final. Okay. Uh, the semifinal is Christianity. Christianity won me over on that, that matchup. All right, all right. Um, so now we get to the final match. Judaism versus Christianity. Um... And, um, okay, so this one was kind of, it's kind of weird because I, I eventually realized that it, there wasn't really a conflict. Um, at least from, if you look at it from the Christian point of view, you know, all of those Jewish um, texts are in the Bible, which, you know, the Christians claim, like they're together. You know, you go from Jewish, and even if you look at the New Testament, like I, pretty much most of the authors are Jewish. I think yeah. maybe Luke is the only one who's not. Um, so it's a Jewish book, even within Christianity. And um, even if you look at um, the New Testament and you look at what Jesus said, and Jesus was a Jew, and Jesus claims to be like the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. So it almost seemed like Judaism actually became Christianity. At least that's what Christians claim. Like, it's yeah. like the Christians are like the completed version of Judaism. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the end, um, let's see, I still wasn't sure. Like this is like in my sophomore year of college. Um, and what pushed me into joining the Christian side was um, when I was met the my the cookies roommate. they had at church. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, didn't, I didn't go to church yet, actually. Ah. No, I, I didn't go to church until I like, decided to become Christian. Uh-huh. Like Catholic, actually. But before that, though. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, at the beginning of my sophomore year, well, actually, no, it was like the middle of my sophomore year, maybe. Um, I had these three roommates, um, and, and two of them were Catholic and one of them was Protestant, like a non-denomination of Protestant. I didn't have any LDS roommates, you know, shockingly enough. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. That was kind of weird. Huh? Yeah. It was um, the hand of God. And, He's like, um, you can't be an LDS member. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, one, one evening, it was, it was like, a, it was really a late night. I think I was just having like a, like a debate with my Protestant roommate because he was the one I was sharing the bedroom with. And that's when I wasn't a Christian. And I, didn't, I never really picked a side yet. I was just kind of, I was kind of Judeo-Christian leaning at that point. Uh-huh. And he was like pretty like full-on evangelical Christian. And, um, oh yeah, you know what? He did invite me to church one time. Uh, I don't, but I don't know if that was before or after this, this conversation. But okay. somehow along the line, we got to this topic in which... Um, like, what was the point of Jesus, you know, dying on the cross? Because that's something that I never understood. 
Hmm. Like even like throughout all of my Catholic school years, like they never told me, at least I never understood like what was the point of the crucifixion? What was the point of the resurrection? Hmm. I mean, it's a cool story, but so what? Right. Um, but then he's the one who pointed out to me that, uh, well, he asked me this question. And the question was like, have you ever sinned? And I said, yes, of course I have. And he says, well, then you need to be saved. And that's why Jesus came down and was crucified um, so that all of our sins could be forgiven. And no one had ever like explained it to me that clearly before. Um, so I think it was that moment when I decided to believe in Jesus. Uh, even if I didn't really believe, I figured it was safer to believe that um, than not believe. Cause you know, if I don't, this is like Pascal's wager. Pascal's wager. Yeah. Like if I don't believe and it turns out that, yeah. you know, Jesus is real and all that stuff was real then I'm going to hell cause I chose not to believe. In it. Um, but if I, but if I believe, you know, even if Jesus wasn't real, you know, then nothing would happen to me right after I died. So I think like I made it, it was kind of, maybe there was a calculation decision going on, but I, I liked that story. I like, you know, this, I can get behind this. You know, Jesus came down to save people from their sins so that we all have a chance to be with him, like after death. You know, okay, okay, yeah, I can get behind that. So then I decided to become a Christian. Um, so a non-denominational Christian initially. I didn't decide to pick up Catholicism or, or LDS or Evangelical. I didn't really care about that stuff yet. Mm. Um, but I decided, okay, I'll follow, I'll find Jesus. So I find it really interesting that your whole conversion process, you know, what led you to the to this specific Catholic church, you know, it was all, it wasn't because you went and, and shopped around all the churches, you know, you saw which service you liked the best. It was, no, was very much, <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's the armchair researching, <laughs> but it was all, you know, what made sense to you, right? In your, in your mind and in your heart. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of that was, I didn't have that many friends, like when I was growing up. Um, so I had fewer distractions. So therefore, I had more time to kind of think about stuff like this, like the universe, you know, the, these big questions. Um, so that might have ended up being like a blessing, you know, in disguise. Yeah. So then how did that influence you later? Because then you ended up joining the actual organization, right, of the Catholic Church. And so yeah. how does that interplay work out for you? Today? Yeah. So how did I go from like non-committal, non-denominational Christian to like full-fledged Catholic? Um, well, that was uh, with my Catholic roommates. Um, so one of them... Uh, well, both of them were active Catholics, but one of them was like, like more, um, I think he was doing it because he felt like he had to do it. And the other one did it because he really wanted to do it and he loved it. Mm. And the guy who like really seemed like he was loved, he loved to do it. He was really full of joy, full of spirit. He was probably the most virtuous person I've ever met, like even up to this day. Like this guy was like Superman. Um, well, first of all, he always had a smile on his face. So he always had like this positive energy coming from him. Um, he was a 4.0 student, pre-med, super smart. Uh, he would volunteer a lot. He would like play guitar in the hospitals. So like for like sick kids, um, he would teach English to refugees. It seems like this guy did everything. Um, like he just seemed like an amazing person. And I feel like he really believed like what he was doing and he did it out of love. And he was always, and he was always there to help me like when I needed help. Uh, Cause we were in the same biology class and like, and he, really got the he got the tough parts like better than I did so and I, sometimes I would ask him for help and, and he always knew the answer he knew like how to explain it 
So, but he didn't really sleep that much though. So that's the thing. Oh, and he worked out. So he had the discipline thing like I did. So I respected that. Um, but he was more, he was like me on steroids, basically. <laughs> um, but I don't think he was on steroids. Uh, he was just a better, he was just like, he just seemed like a better person than me. I, I saw him as like a, a role model. Like, you know, I should be more like this person. I think this guy is the kind of person kind of I want to be like. He's, I would almost call him like my hero. Like he's like probably like one of the first people I've met who I truly admired and looked up to. Um, and I didn't even know he was a Catholic until like a year later, uh, like after we'd met. And I think the only reason I found out was because we were just talking about stuff. And I told him, you know, I'm thinking about like, I'm looking at Catholicism and like all these different like Christian religions, you know. Um, and then like, he's the one who kind of like, well, he, be he became really interested um, in like my, my, in my path. Um, so he kind of encouraged me to join RCIA, which is like, the, it's the program that you have to go through to become a Catholic if you're not a Catholic as an adult. It's like a class. It's like a year-long class where you learn about the Catholic Church, the teachings, the, the history. Yeah. And then you decide, okay, um, is this for you? If yes, then you're going to be baptized and receive the sacraments. If not, then it's okay. You can walk away. So he offered to be my sponsor, which is like kind of like a mentor figure. Like every um, student in the RCIA has to have a sponsor. Like you can't just go in by yourself. You need to know what you're doing. Um, so he volunteered to be that person for me and I decided to give him a chance. Okay, fine, I'll do this RCIA thing. And uh, if I don't like it at any time, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna walk out. And he said, okay. Um, so I gave it a shot. And um, throughout that year long process, I had so many questions. Um, I, we, had some, we had some great teachers, you know, we went through like Bible history, moral teachings, you know, there, there were some difficult issues, you know. Um, you know, like contraception, abortion, you know, um, homosexuality. Those are like the tough ones that were tough to get around. Um, the hierarchy, you know, all that stuff, all like the controversial stuff that I thought was controversial that maybe most people still think are. Yeah. Um, my questions were like answered. They were alleviated. I understood. And yeah, it, it was convincing that, okay, fine, I'll become Catholic. And, uh, and were those at... Were those answers more of like an apologetic kind of answer from the view of the Catholic Church? How would you describe those answers? Yeah, I mean, with me at that point, like everything like about me up to that point has to be done through reasoning. Um, because I am not a person of faith, like by nature, like the faith, like my faith, I've only developed like after I got the reasoning part down. Because without the reasoning, I could never become a believer, I felt like. Like I don't just believe things for no reason or just because people say so. Like it has to make sense. Um, so with that, um, I was very fortunate that we had, um, we had very educated people who were willing to give really long answers and explanations and were able to point to like texts and references. Like, yes, the church believes in this because of this, 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 and this. And if you don't believe me, look at what this guy wrote, look at what this guy wrote, look at what this guy wrote. They reference people who go way back until you get to the church fathers. And the church fathers oftentimes reference you know, the Bible, the scriptures. Um, so like a lot of the answers were kind of like that. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, if you don't believe me, we'll just follow the history back to where it came from. And you can see that there is a consistency in what we teach.
Right. Primary source and then logically leads to A, B, and then C, and then what we're seeing. Yeah. So that was like my way of thinking. It's, it's probably not, not like, I don't know if it's the best way to, to enter a church or to find faith. <laughs> uh, but in my case, it was all I had. Right. So rational faith. Okay. Yeah. Like I would have never become Catholic without the apologetics. Okay. Uh, but, but now though, I don't really care about apologetics anymore because now it's like, I have what I want now. I have the faith. I believe now. So, hmm. okay. Uh, but if anyone wants to ask me about apologetics, you know, at least I, I know what it's like and I can help them. During this time. So how familiar did you feel like, cause you grew up in Utah. <clears throat> mm-hmm. How much exposure did you have to LDS people, to Mormon people and their general beliefs and stuff? Um, yeah, so I believe that most of my classmates, like throughout middle school and high school, were Mormon. Yeah. Um, like, I, I don't know that for sure, because uh, I, I never went to church with them, even though sometimes they would invite me to go to church, but I never went. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't want to go. Like, oh, I wasn't a church person. You know? Yeah. I'm lazy. Um, but it seemed like they were all kind of part of a community that I wasn't a part of. Um, so I assume that, yeah, these people must all be LDS and they're part of the same church. And I, and I, I respect that, you know, I understand that. Um, but yeah, with the, um, I guess with like the actual like teachings, um, I don't think I actually got very much cause it was mostly teenagers. I don't think teenagers care about their faith in yeah. general. Um, it was more of a cultural thing to me. Right. Um, but they were very, um, but yeah, they're the friendliest people I've ever met, you know, like the Mormons um, in general. Hmm. They're, much, they're much nicer than Catholic teenagers were. Well, at least when I was in England. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned that you felt that they were all in the same community, even though you didn't know whether they were Mormon or not. Mm-hmm. So I guess, did you ever, did that ever make you feel excluded? You know, like, did you feel it was too clicky for you? What, I mean, yeah, but it was kind of my choice, though, I felt like, because I could have gone with them, you know, they invited me, um, but I chose not to go. If, like, if my mom was Mormon, if, if I have Mormon, like, family members, like, immediately, I mean, you guys are Mormon, but if, like, if my grandma, grandpa, if, you know, if my mom was Mormon, then it would have been easier for me to say yes, you know, to, like, go with them, because I, I would have had, you know, something in common. But, you know, to be someone who's, like, not religious at all, uh, who's never met a Mormon before coming to Utah, doesn't even really know what Mormonism is or what the LDS church believes in. Yeah. Like that's just, uh, that's too big of a jump for me. You know, it was right. like, I couldn't do it. Huh. Um, but um, with Catholicism, you know, at least I, I probably wouldn't have done that either. That took me like almost another decade to actually start going to a church. And that was only after like all of my research, all of my reading, all the, all the meeting, all these people, uh, it took a lot for me to open myself up to start going to church. Yeah. Um, so, so that's why, um, that's good. yeah, it turned out that way. Okay. So another question I think maybe our fellow friends in the faith of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints would have for you is, you know, how many times until it gets annoying to keep inviting you to come to their church? <laughs> <laughs> um, Did you ever feel bothered by, by all their invites? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't invited that much, so no. I think it was only like a couple of times that they invited me. Oh. And, and yeah, and they, they weren't very persistent, you know. Oh. So you didn't uh, feel they were trying to be pushy or anything like, hey. Uh, uh, yeah, that's right. And I, 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 I like that, you know, because I, I, yeah. I, I was already pretty clear, that, you know, that, that my answer was no. And they yeah. expected that. Uh, and if I ever change my mind, you know, like I will, I will come to, I will go to them. You know, like, right. They right. should know that. Um, so there was no need to keep reminding me. Um, so now as a, cause you're 
a practicing Catholic, you live in Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any, being a kind of a minority religious group in, in Utah, what are your feelings about that? Is there any, any type of like, oh, like they, when they find out you're a Catholic, they kind of act a little differently or what would be your experience with that? Um, I mean, being a minority is something I've been all my life. So it's never, yeah. it's not, it's nothing new to me, you know, because when I was in England, I was Asian and there's not, there's not many, and I was a non-Catholic in a Catholic school. Yeah. Uh, so coming here, I'm a minority again, but yeah, so it doesn't really, nothing really changed, you know. Uh, so, so I'm comfortable being a minority. Um, so Brandon's right. You are a contrarian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, I don't know. Sometimes by choice, sometimes, you know, by yeah. forced upon me. But anyway, back to your question. Um, yeah, so I think when I was a non-Catholic, um, maybe it was a little bit harder um, but then when I became Catholic, after I became Catholic, I got this impression that, oh, you're a Catholic, that, that's pretty cool. Or, okay, oh, that's weird, you know, that's, that's interesting, you know, it's, but if I'm just a non-religious guy, it's like, eh, whatever, you know, just to, you don't believe in anything. Yeah. So I think it's definitely like, it's better to be a Catholic than it is to be a non-religious person, hmm. I think, in Utah, because at least you have something in common. Yeah. And, you know, we, we all go to church, we all believe in God, we, we all have a hierarchy, you know, that we respect. Um, so yeah, um, I guess one example that I can think of is, uh, when I was teaching, um, I think most of the teachers were LDS, uh, at okay. least maybe, I don't know about most, but like a big chunk of them were. And, uh, one of them I was kind of talking to, and, um, I think somewhere I let it slip that I was Catholic. I don't, um, I don't know how that happened, but cause you're not supposed to talk about religion in the public school, right? right? <laughs> uh, but it was after hours. Um, so yeah, I was talking about like, you know, like this, like the, um, uh, what do you call it? Oh yeah, the, the Camino Trail in Spain, like Santo, the, the Camino of St. Uh, James, like um, Santo Domingo, I think is the Spanish name. And he was, oh, cool. What is that? You know, I've never heard of this before. And he was, he was just really interested in it. And oh yeah, it's a, it's a pilgrimage that Catholics do, you know, it's, it's pretty, like a lot of Catholics like to go there and just like go to see the tomb of St. James that we believe is his tomb. And it's something that was completely foreign to him. And he's, he, just, he was just really interested in it. Um, so that's just an example. Because um, if I was an atheist, then, you know, we have, like, nothing to talk about, you know. <laughs> oh, you don't believe in God. Okay. You don't go to church. <laughs> right. you football on Sundays. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's better to be a Catholic. It's more interesting. Uh, okay. To talk to so, a Mormon as a Catholic. Yeah, that makes sense. Because we both have the same commonality of Christ. We, I mm -hmm. guess both sides would say. And so... But then, of course, that, that probably minimizes all the differences. There's so many differences among the two faiths. What would you say is the most maybe misunderstood thing that, that members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints would view on the Catholic Church or of your faith? I mean, I don't really know like, what other people believe about the Catholic Church, for sure. But it seems like the common ones I hear about are like worshiping Mary, worshiping the saints. Yeah. Uh, the, pope, the Pope is infallible. Those are probably the biggest ones. Is, is that what you guys have perceived as well? Yeah. Ones? So are those yeah. misconceptions? I didn't even know. <laughs> those, are, those are definitely misconceptions. Interesting. Um, right. So number one, um, the Pope is not infallible. Um, the Pope is a man, right? Um, the Pope is only infallible when a church council with the bishops is decreed 
that is about faith and moral teaching. Oh. So if the Pope says, um, I don't know, like the, the Patriots are going to win tomorrow, you know, that, <laughs> that doesn't have any weight. Um, but, if the, but if the Pope and the bishops together say that Mary was taken up into heaven, but that's, you know, that's an official teaching that, that that is infallible because everyone agrees. All the bishops are with the Pope on this. If the bishops don't agree, that's not going to be infallible. Okay. Yeah, yeah those are some pretty good limitations you put on it, right? Yeah, yeah there's, there, there's, that, there's that joke. I, I know Mormons, I have, I've heard it a few times, but they just say like, um, everyone says the Pope is infallible, but no one believes it. And then everyone says that, the Mormon prophet is fallible, but all of the Mormon Mormon <laughs> members don't believe that either. They think that he's <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so is the is the Mormon prophet infallible? Like, no. What, what so, I mean, the Mormon equivalent to that would be, I mean, because you're arguing from a position where where the prophets would have said something like, you know, patriots are going to win tomorrow, and they were wrong, right? So you would say that the typical apologetic response is to say that no. Um, the prophet only speaks as a prophet when he's speaking as a prophet. And you'd probably put the same limitations, like you said, and except for the meeting of the council with the, with the apostles, uh, mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be a limitation placed on them. Yeah. There's not like a explicit outline of like, this is when, you know, it's, it's true. But I would say generally speaking, if the general authorities, which <clears> are like the 70, and the apostles and the prophet are speaking in unison about a topic, then it becomes more solidified as a, a church doctrine. But mm -hmm. generally, you know, even if the prophet says something, it is taken seriously, but whether or not that's solidified as doctrine is a it's mm -hmm. case by case. Okay. Yeah, so that's pretty similar then um, to the, the, the Catholic yeah. hierarchy. I would um, say culturally, though, Whatever the prophet says, the members do basically okay. take him as invaluable. That, okay. that's so I guess it's, it's not it's not correct, but it's, yeah. it's culturally basically yes. how things work. Right. Yeah, I guess that's one difference then, because over like it's with Catholicism, if the Pope like says or does something, like not everybody has to agree with him. If anything, like with this Pope, like Pope Francis, oh, he, a lot <laughs> yeah, of a lot of conservatives, the conservatives hate him. <laughs> conservative yeah. Catholics don't like him, right. um, and and yeah, some people actually like call him to resign. You know, like it's. Right. It's actually like pretty a new thing in, in history, like what, how this, how the Pope has this much visible opposition within his own church. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but going back to like the saints and like Mary, this this one is near and dear to my heart actually because it's something I've become more passionate about in recent years or months. Um, yeah, so so we don't worship Mary or the saints either, um, but we do revere them in the sense that these are special people who who were very close to God. They found God while they were alive. Um, and we call them saints because we believe that they are with God right now, like after death. And the reason why we have such a big deal, we place such a big emphasis on saints is because like these are like our role models. Like these are our yeah. heroes, like throughout history, like throughout the 2000 years of Catholicism. Um, these are the people who stood up for the church, you know, who were martyrs, who contributed intellectually, who've, you know, performed miracles, you know, with God. And, and maybe most importantly, we can rely on them to pray for us. Like when we like, when people say that we pray to saints, um, 
we're not technically praying to that saint. Like we're not praying to like Mary. We're praying with Mary because Mary is really close to God. She's the mother of Jesus. And if you're that close to God and you pray, um, your prayers are going to be more efficacious than someone who is not close to God, right? Like, would you rather ask one of your friends who's an atheist to pray for you or like a friend who's like very like devout and close to God? You know, it's kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's basically how I heard it explained to me is, you know, you had your example of your roommate or your, your friend that was in biology with you that was just such a stalwart example of someone that exuded, you know, great qualities, someone that you really admired. Mm-hmm. And how it explained to me is these saints, they act as kind of that, that mediation. They're in between us and God. You know, mm-hmm. they're not quite God, but they're very great. And we can look up to them as role models and they're kind of petitioning to God on our behalf. So we're, we're, we're using them as a yeah. vehicle to get closer to God because God is someone that is more abstract and farther from us. It's his ideal is so far away from our grasp that going through the saint, petitioning the saints is just mm-hmm. a much more concrete way for us to be able to um, solidify yeah. that. And that's because kind of how it's are just humans, right? And we can, and we're also humans. Yeah. Uh, someone like Jesus, you know, he was like divine, you know, it's kind of hard to measure ourselves up to him. But to a saint, you know, a saint is achievable because mm. yeah, they're right. just, just like us. So, I, yeah, and that makes sense to me because the fundamental difference theologically is, you know, Mormons actually believe that God is in the same ontological being as us. So that's why we actually just go to him directly. But if you, if you have a theologically ontological difference in that God is a different being, you know, he's much more complicated, he's much more abstract than I understand the role, you know, of the mediation and, and it's just like asking, you know, your, your friend to pray for you when you're sick. You know? mm-hmm. not, you're not worshiping them. Right? Yeah. I mean, worship has two different meanings, but you're yeah. not worshiping them in the higher be. sense. Right. I mean, worship in the sense that we, we try to be like them, you know, mm, but not, yeah, worshiping, definition. not worshiping them like, you know, like they're God or anything. Just right. like, yeah, it's, it's a reverence. Like, it's like more like respect would be the better word. Than Veneration. Than accurate word. Okay. Yeah. How about, how about this one? Because, I mean, and this isn't really, a, but there's always just, you know, the media will talk about it. Everyone, when they hear the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. is just, there's priests that molest kids. That's, yeah. you know, like, oh, why would you join? Like, I was just talking to this kid at orientation today in law school, and he's like, well, you know, I grew up Catholic, but, you know, I just realized the Catholic Church is so backwards. You know, mm-hmm. they have all these scandals and stuff, and he, he just, you know. I just can't see myself in the faith. So, I mean, of course, you know, I'm not going to be engaging with someone in, a, in an orientation. That's a little preposterous. So I just, you know, just nod your head. Okay, whatever. But like, you know, these are, these are quite persistent themes that kind of run about the, you know, religion and specifically the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. How do members respond to these types of things? And I, and I think they're, you know, absolutely just, horrendous strawmans of the mm-hmm. church and, and religion in general. But what do you yeah. have to say about this? Yeah, well, you know, like this, this might be, I don't know, kind of pessimistic, but, um, but yeah, you know, the church has always been, it's always been corrupt in a sense, you know, ever since Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus from the beginning, you know, we've had scandal in the church, scandal after scandal, like throughout the church's history, um, you know, like stuff crap like this always happens. Like right. I'm, I'm this sure is the first one changes over time, but 
yeah. yeah so it's nothing in like I, I i mean not to like trivialize like the victims who are suffering mm-hmm. from the priest but like but it's it's really nothing new you know it's it's if you're gonna have people in in a church in any organization there's always going to be something that goes wrong especially right. something as big as the catholic church you know there's more opportunities for bad people to do bad things um so i think the scandal it's 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 human nature that's that's the way that i look at it I, i'm not excusing it at all i'm not defending it but i think it's 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 yeah probably the worst thing that you can do if, if, as a priest is to abuse the trust of you know the people that you swore to serve and protect yeah. and lead yeah. to god um and yeah like and I, especially like with this, these most recent scandals, you know, like even like the Pope is kind of losing credibility now um, because of what people are saying. Maybe he knew about it, you know, maybe he didn't. Um, but yeah, like there's a statistic that I, that I came across recently. It was like for every like one person who enters the Catholic church, six people leave. Hmm. Um, and yeah, that, and that's a horrible statistic right that's like we're losing a lot and, and that's a new phenomenon right you yeah it's the massive exit mm-hmm. yeah and it's probably not just the catholic church it's, no it's all they're, all religion the six people are joining the mormon church aren't they <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe half of them <laughs> the mormons aren't doing very well either so. no, i know i'm just kidding <laughs> but yeah um but i think it's a lot of it's because of these scandals um like these scandals are turning people away like they're turning people off yeah, and, and and who can blame them? You know, like when your when your leaders are corrupt, and they refuse to do anything to help, even if they're innocent in a way, then of course you're going to be frustrated. And yeah, leaving would seem like the logical option, right? Um, so yeah, I I understand why people would leave. It so makes sense. Would you say your faith isn't placed in the organization of the church or its leadership, but rather something higher? Is that kind of how you'd is that the reasoning why you haven't left? Is, yeah, because like the way that I see it, like I, I think I don't care if like every single Catholic is an evil person. Like even if that were true and I'm the only Catholic left who like tries to be a good Catholic, I would still, you know, stay in the church. And that's because I believe that the church is established by Christ, like from, you know, from Peter and from the disciples and the succession of the apostles to to today's bishops like i believe in the apostolic succession and yeah that was something i forgot to mention earlier with my conversion was when i saw this poster of like all of the popes from uh from peter if we could consider him a pope you know he was he was never called a pope in life but we call him a pope now because of his role as bishop of rome all the way to pope benedict who was the previous pope before francis like i saw like an unbroken chain um, and even though there were some anti-popes, but we didn't, we don't recognize them as the real popes and the Pope, and sometimes the popes moved to France. Uh, but still we had all the historical records uh, through every age of hmm. Catholic history or through Christian history. And, um, that's a big deal to me, you know, cause like I, I mentioned my, my love of history. Well, that was like the historical proof that I needed yeah. to give the Catholic church authority, the credibility, like, yep. I can trace my predecessors back to Peter. That's pretty good, right? As opposed to like maybe a Lutheran, they can go back to Martin Luther right, at yeah. best, like so 500 years. I got to jump in for like anyone listening that's more in here because we feel the same, very same well, way in this church. Uh, the authority has to come straight back all the way to Jesus when it mm-hmm. comes to the church. 
But yeah. so, so I'm sure you've heard maybe talking to some LDS members talking about the great apostasy. Yep. I know right? about that a lot. So, <laughs> right. So we would commonly, members would commonly postulate that that unbroken chain was actually broken. So how do you, mm-hmm. what, how do you feel about that, that kind of view that most you know, Mormons would be ready to jump in and, and debate? Yeah. Well, not, not just Mormons, but Protestants too. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause um, the, the way that I see, and there was actually a podcast about this that I listened to yesterday, just, you know, to get me thinking about it. Um, well, <clears throat> if the great apostasy happened and, and, and I'm not trying to argue with you. Okay. This is just like a hypothetical, like theoretical thing, like thought experiment. Um, then that means like at one point in history, after Jesus came back, there were no more like authentic Christians. Right. That's like, like the, the, the transmission of the faith must've been lost at, at, for at least a moment. If, if there was an apostasy, that means not one person was left uh, who was, you know, like following Christ. Hmm. But I think, um, I think just to pause right there, I think that Mormons and maybe other some Protestants would, they more frame it as the apostasy was more of a process of, of the loss of authority. So it's not necessarily that the symbols, the practices, the sacraments, and all of these other ceremonies were corrupted but rather there wasn't the proper authority in place, that chain of authority that they, they like to link back to Christ. So it's not that they saying, okay, these people were not actually Christians. They were Christians since that they were striving to, to mimic that, but the authority was missing. So then Mormons would come in and say, and that's where the authority got restored back. So it's not that, you know, the Catholics are corrupted or they, they were not even Christians, but rather that they were missing that proper key of authority and that was restored. Just, just to pause that, not to, this is for our Mormon viewership. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I have a question about that too. So, so that sure. means, so that means like the, the Mormons believe that the authority was lost somewhere along the line. Is that correct? Somewhere, yeah. somehow, maybe not in a specific event, but Right, it Some might be a more process. general process. A general that process. still does, like you said, that still doesn't mean yes, there's a but moment it was lost. when yeah. there was there was, Right. Yeah. Right. But even if it was a general process, like there would be a time where it would have been like at zero. Like there was no right. more. Of course. Yes, yes. yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's what um, people believe, yeah. Okay. So if, okay, so the way that I see that, the way, the, I guess the reason why I don't believe that is because of the existence of the saints. Um, like through every century, because I actually looked up a Wikipedia page. It had like um, a list of all of the saints, like recognized by the Catholic Church. Yep. And um, yeah, I think on average there's a, there's at least one every year. So like in every century, there's at least a hundred saints. Uh-huh. And of course, we don't have much information on the early ones, but there's there's you know enough stories, traditional stories, to say yeah, these were people who were living under this time. And yeah, maybe the leadership was corrupt um maybe there are people actually no i definitely agree that there was at times there were popes or bishops who wielded their authority um that was not the way that christ had intended it to be um so i agree with that part um but this these are individuals though, and not the actual office or the yeah. the church right and the biggest thing that i have to go on is to, to keep me um, believing in like the continuity of the historical church, the Catholic yeah. church yeah. is what Jesus said um, in the, in the gospels is um, like, 
the gates of hell like shall not prevail like against you like so you are Peter and on this rock I build my church and the gates uh -huh. of hell shall not prevail so if there was a time when all authority was lost then it would seem like the gates of hell actually did prevail yeah which would mean Jesus was wrong uh, so I know that's just that's just my interpretation of it. it's the Catholic uh -huh. interpretation I'm, I'm sure there's different interpretations of that passage I'm not relying on that one right. verse um, for this um, discussion but but I, I just don't, I, I can't imagine Jesus starting a church that would falter like that. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem, like, I don't think Jesus is a loser. Like Jesus will never lose like that. <laughs> not have been that weak with Jesus guiding it. Um, so yeah, even though, yeah, we have our problems, we always have had issues within the church. Yeah. Um, but the Christ has always been there. The Holy Spirit is our one guarantee um, that, as you know, as bad as things seem, you know, he's still with us. Right. And he always has been. Thank you for that summary. Cause I was just really curious from a, from kind of like more intellectual perspective, how does a Catholic reconcile the typical argument maybe a Mormon would make? And I'm sure that, you know, we could debate this on and on and, mm -hmm. and our viewership would be happier if we did that, but, <laughs> but we're not going to, cause we don't want any, any hard feelings. Yeah, no bad blood. But, yeah. <laughs> But thank you. So, so that's insightful because I think the interesting thing about faith history is the more you study into it, and it's not just your church or our church, but mm -hmm. the more you study about religion, you know, it's actually Sterling McMurlin said this. He said an honest studier would actually probably, you know, it would attack their faith the more they studied because you would find lots of crazy things that happened in history. Of course, yeah. I think for all three of us, it's, it, I think it's been evident in this discussion that we base our faith not in, you know, people, and not even in the saints themselves, but we we place our faith in a higher being and in mm -hmm. faith in God and what that means, you know, for us to continue acting in our faith is something different. Um, but, yep. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of people kind of falter. Of, and, I mean, it's of course it's very easy to understand why someone would leave when there's a scandal that happens. Even in the LDS Church, there was news of a missionary training center bishop that was uh, i think he he molested a few girls mm -hmm. and of course that's that's appalling and i think that that gives people reason to leave but again as brandon mentioned as you said i don't i guess i don't place my faith in the fallible human beings that are mm -hmm. and i know of course there's rampant hypocrisy in, in, in many of these corrupt leaders and stuff like that but it makes me think of the donatist controversy have you have you heard of that yeah that was like early in christianity right yeah early on in christianity in i think it was in in the in north africa the the mm -hmm. donatist branch where they basically there were that time the leaders there the political leaders were forcing certain christians to deny their their beliefs mm -hmm. and some of them of course did because they didn't want to get killed and then the ones that didn't deny of course were executed but after all that that whole thing passed the donatists thought that those that denied their faith were not worthy of the authority the priesthood the sacraments that they were that they were doing anymore because they had messed up that that authority had ended so there's this whole controversy of well if someone had transgressed do they still have that authority present with them? 
And is that church still valid? And the Donatists were thinking, no, we have to start a new church now because this whole thing has become corrupted. While Augustine and I think it was Augustine was was arguing on the other side that no, it's it's worse for a schism to happen in the church. It's worse for you guys to break off instead of trying to rectify and make things right. Just because the vehicle, the human, and you know the priest is corrupted mm-hmm. or they made a mistake, doesn't necessarily destroy the authority that is present in the church. So that to me, that kind of framed it for me in my mind of this Donatist controversy of you know people make mistakes. Does that mean trash the whole thing or does that mean you know we need to rectify those mistakes but you need to maintain the structure Mm -hmm. and there's that whole argument of course augustine won the argument but that kind of frames for me the principle of it in my own mind of in religious institutions where you can't just toss the whole structure in the garbage because Mm of fallible human beings and of course it's not justifying the mistakes made by these individuals, but mm-hmm. more of, of the importance of maintaining and, and rectifying those mistakes. Yeah, and that's, that's a huge deal for me, like what you just said, because um, the example that I keep coming back to, like whenever I feel like, you know, the church has done something wrong and people are complaining, oh, maybe I'm going to leave the church today. Yeah. Well, let's look at like the, the U.S., for example. Let's say, um, I don't know, like, you know, president, like whatever president, let's say like Richard Nixon, you know, like he abused his power. He does all these horrible things. Um, okay. Does that mean we should abolish the presidency? Does that mean... Abolish it. Does that, <laughs> does, that, does that mean we should abolish the constitution because the government was bad or like some parts of the government were bad? Of course not, right? Um, but just because people screw up, it doesn't take away from the authority of the institution. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, mean, I think I there's there's a very valid points. I mean, I, mean, I think we're coming from more of a traditionalist mindset. Mm-hmm. Liberals would be cringing right now, but <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that I think that's a very fruitful discussion, and that's that's where a lot of people falter with their faith in the institution. Anyways, is that they're placing faith where it shouldn't be placed, which is in individuals that are often mm-hmm. going to mess up and, and fail. And yeah, they forget that human beings are sinners. Yep, exactly. Even the saints were sinners. I'd love to talk more. We could even do a more, you know, part 2.1, point 2.2. <laughs> 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 you know, we could, we could have a lot. I think we have a lot of good productive discussions around certain points of contentions that mm-hmm. LDS people and Catholics have, and, and not necessarily needing to be contentious debate or mm-hmm. argument but more just clarification of these things yeah there there are a lot of things that i don't understand personally mm-hmm. but I, yeah I, I, think I think it's a great thing like to promote this, this dialogue you know like i don't know if we i mean, like i got yeah, interreligious dialogue if, if that's if that's word is okay with you like i think that's a very important in this day and age uh-huh. for people of different beliefs to like at least understand each other you know? yeah i think it's a great thing you guys are doing yeah for sure well thank, thank you, you for coming on alan and and talking to us we really appreciate your time and your explanations and thank you for our listeners for tuning in and we hope you guys can leave us some feedback if you like it share it and let us know what we can do differently for for topics and stuff so appreciate that Mm -hmm.